Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Things have continued to develop in the Ukraine. Where are we headed, Jim? Well, it's a, it's an endurance contest. Uh, who who comes first, Ukraine or Russia? Russia is being hit on all sides. They have a lot more. Uh, how should I put it? Interior uh, descent. Um, you know, a lot of Russians are being hit. You know, immediately in the pocketbook. Uh, the ruble has you know gone way down in terms of its uh, buying uh, power. Uh, the um, you can't get an air, airplane out of the out of Russia to go anywhere uh, you would normally would like to go. Uh, people are finding that the Russian um, reserve fund, as it were, a lot of it was stored in overseas banks, and they're now been frozen. So uh, Russia is out of income. They're out of their. They can't touch their most of uh, much of their their reserve fund, and. Uh, uh, there are individual sanctions now being put on the, the wealthiest people in Russia uh, who are basically the economic pillars of, of Putin's power. Uh, Putin is, of course, uh, threatening to use uh, nuclear weapons, although he may have another angle going. He sees the, um, the largest nuclear power plant complex in Europe, which is in Ukraine. And uh, I don't know what he plans on doing it, but it can't be good. Uh, I don't know if he's brought in operators from Russia, uh, who's going to police, you know, the Ukrainians who are running it. Uh, a Ukrainian sniper uh, killed a Russian major general. I think he was commander of one of the, uh, well, they call them combined armies. We call it a corps, but actually it's about eight or nine brigades. Um, and uh, the Ukrainians have shown no, you know, interest in, in giving up. They have lost one. They have suffered one major loss. Uh, they lost the city of Kherson, which is north, just near Crimea. It's basically it controls access and, and you know to the uh, the Dnieper River, which runs all the way up. It goes it goes through Kiev and points north. Um, it's a major. Uh, how should I put it? A mode of transit in, in in Ukraine, and it cuts the country in half. Now, how, how long the Russians can hold on to that, uh, what they can actually do with that power. They can theoretically send warships up the uh, up the Dnieper. But, of course, the Ukrainians can also you know, put mines, uh, fire artillery. Uh, it can turn into a real mess. Uh, that was a key objective of the Russians. They put a lot of effort into taking that. It was defended by a lot of its citizens who are apparently not giving up the fight. They've just gone, you know, underground, as it were, uh, for the moment. Um, and um, uh, Zelensky, the president, he has a lot of, uh, you know, foreign assistance. Uh, the I think the Germans alone have sent in about a thousand Stinger missiles. Now, these are not the ones that were used to, to uh, uh, encourage the Russians to leave Afghanistan in the 1980s. These are much upgraded. Uh, so they are, the Russian aircraft are very vulnerable to them, even if they have countermeasures. Uh, hundreds of the uh, Javelin missiles are coming in, and these are the ones that are basically halting uh, convoys, uh, hitting the uh, you know escorted convoys. 
these uh, can basically uh, defeat any countermeasures the Russians have, including apparently the arena. That's the active defense system. Now, I don't know exactly how it's performed against arena so far, but it has succeeded in, in basically uh, halting a lot of convoys and, you know, destroying dozens of armored vehicles. Uh, and, of course, we also have heard about how the <laughs> the Russian army didn't really prepare uh, to deal with the Ukrainian mud. And they, they knew all about it. And they apparently wanted to uh, get going a little earlier to not start in the middle of the mud season. But the Chinese requested that they not start their war until after the uh, their Winter Olympics uh, ended. And they did just that. They, they, you know, the Olympics ended on the 23rd and, and, and just before dawn on the 24th, they, the Russians started their attack. It didn't go according to plan. And uh, we just don't know how, how many cards uh, Putin has left to play because he has a lot of internal dissent. Uh, he's arrested thousands or detained thousands of Russian citizens, including children. I mean, you know, school, school kids who are there demonstrating. Uh, he got letters from uh, I think 150 prominent Russians uh, who have much to lose, you know, if he cracks down on them. Uh, the Ukrainians, you know, allow us, they're getting information from the dissident members of the FSB. That's the secret police. Uh, that could be interesting because that's a death sentence if you're caught. Um, so it doesn't look good for Russia. You know, Ukraine's putting up a fight. But it's an endurance contest. Who's going who's gonna to crack first? I don't think the, the, the Ukrainians have gone through this before. Uh, they did it, you know, uh, after uh, after the uh, after the um, uh, World War One. They lasted for several years. Uh, <clears throat> Stalin came in and got his revenge in the 1930s when he starved about three million, starved to death three million Ukrainians, so he could sell all their grain or most of it for foreign currency, so he could basically build up his armaments industry. Um, they did it again after World War II uh, when the, uh, the Ukrainian partisans kept fighting until in, into the early 1950s. Uh, the Russians haven't had much success in dealing with armed Ukrainians. Uh, in fact, it was, the, um, it was the threat of that that basically persuaded uh, Russia to, the Soviet Union to not try and fight uh, 91. They did it initially inside of Russia and lost. Uh, but when the uh, Ukrainians proposed, you know, uh, what we've got is what we've got, and 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 let's keep it simple. Uh, the Russians went along with that, and half their population departed, uh, taking along a lot of natural resources with them. Of course, we all know about the infamous uh, agreement the Russians signed in 1994, where they got their nuclear weapons back. Which they, the Americans paid for having you know disassembled and turned into uh, uh, fuel for uh, power plants, um, but in, in return the Russians agreed they would never, uh, you know, take any Ukrainian territory. So you know the Ukrainians aren't going to trust any any written agreements uh, from the Russians. They'll only trust you know actual real actions. Putin talks about you know peace talks, but that hasn't gone anywhere because again there's no trust. On the Ukrainian side, um, so there you go. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a bitter stalemate with Russian literally playing the weaker hand because the Ukrainians have a reputation for going on a long time. Uh, the Russians, this is a unique form of war for them. 
they've never had a war. Well, they have had wars. The <laughs> the, the, Polish, the, the revolution after uh, World War One that basically uh, uh, liberated uh, Ukraine for a few years uh, before the uh, the Bolshevik Revolution and the and the communists, you know, fought a bloody, you know, two or three wars, two or three years civil war uh, to put the empire back together again. Uh, and Putin is basically obsessed with uh, regaining that empire, despite the fact that all the all the other portions of the empire have let him know, uh, sometimes quite bluntly, that they have no interest in rejoining the empire. Even Belarus, which has been an ally, so to speak, of, of Russia, and mainly because it's run by a, a an old uh, uh, Soviet era apparatchik that could turn into a dictator. He got elected under the promise of uh, of uh, reform and and uh, easing up on corruption. He did that for a while, but then he realized I'd rather be dictator, and that's been going downhill. The Russians bailed him out again recently when there were when again there were major uh, uprisings among in the uh, Belarus population to overthrow their their pro-Russian dictator. Um, and uh, the story is that the Belarus army is is in, involved in the invasion are a little sketchy because, you know, very few people in Belarus are willing to die for uh, Russia, uh, much less, you know, uh, contribute in any way to them conquering, uh, you know, reuniting the uh, Soviet empire, which they do not want to become a part of again. So there you go. Uh you, you you take a chance with a weak hand, and this is what you get. What do you have to add to that, Austin? Well, I, I want to pick up on a, a couple of points that Jim made. Actually, there's, there's a point that he touched on that we focused on, I think, at least four times since 2014. And that was uh, the, the violation. I mean, where, where we spent some time with that, uh, the violation of the 1994 uh, Budapest Accords that were uh, guaranteed by the United States and the United Kingdom, uh, and that was you know Ukraine turns in its nukes in exchange for uh, absolute guarantees of territorial uh, sovereignty uh, from uh, Russia. Uh, I mean that, the blow there is to all of the nuclear disarmers on the planet. The uh, I think it's fair to, not all of them are crazy peaceniks, but uh, the thing is, is that let's minimize nuclear weapons or get rid of them. And right there, what uh, what, what we saw really with Crimea, the Crimean uh, invasion and annexation, and now this continuing this really fifth, <laughs> fifth iteration of the uh, invasion of Ukraine that began in, in uh, 2014 is that uh, nobody's going to turn in their nukes. I mean, you're never going to convince North Korea, even if you ever had a chance, or the uh, or, or the Iranians. And you, you can put the, this square on uh, Vladimir Putin and his uh, uh, courtiers there uh, in the Kremlin. Now, Jim, Jim says, you know, he analyzes uh, Russia's problems. Let's flip it over and look at the Ukrainians' problems. Uh, uh, they've managed to maintain some thin air defense. Russia has air superiority. You know, they can go almost any place they want. But uh, this tells me, and I, this is something I touched on in, a, in a, a, another 
podcast uh, that I the one I did for Powerline that it tells me that the Ukrainians have thought through what they were going to do in a prolonged, you know, <laughs> prolonged, uh, prolong a Russian invasion. They hid assets. They hit uh, air, air defense uh, assets. They keep them up enough. And as Jim pointed out, uh, at least a, a thousand advanced stingers are, are in the process of arriving out of uh, German stocks. They're going to get more. They'll probably get some uh, some of the other the beam riders uh, that, that like the uh, uh, British have. Uh, they'll you know, uh, shoulder fired anti-aircraft missiles. So it'll be a, a, a mix of uh, a man carried uh, air, air defense uh, air defense missiles, and uh, that's that degrades the Russian air force. It deters uh, their their pilots to uh, uh, to an, uh, uh, an extent, but also uh, uh, is a political message because you can uh, you, you can show that aircraft getting hit. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a it's a media uh, media message, media politics. There, we're still shooting you down, and now we're eight, nine, ten days uh, into this invasion. <clears throat> Ukraine doesn't doesn't have an air uh, have an air force, so uh, I'm building Dan off of the fact I still see uh, a the very thin but resilient air defense capability, and my bet is is that the Ukrainians have thought through how they would fight uh, a prolonged, want to call it people's war, uh, guerrilla war, uh, war of uh, of national uh, national resistance as the Russians try to move uh, to occupy. Jim's, again, gone through what their weaknesses are. Again, their strengths are. They can fly basically wherever they they want to. They have overwhelming firepower, both in uh, missiles, rockets, and tube artillery. And I'll leave this (laughs) to Jim to touch on in this on this podcast, because uh, I've heard him do it, he does a great job uh, of it, of describing the Zukov method of uh, <clears throat> defeating the, the Germans. Hub-to-hub artillery, endless uh, rockets, smash everything, flatten it, and then, as has been said in, in other other forums, send in the peasant army, you know, to clean, uh, to clean up. Now, that's not quite accurate. We're often pushing the <laughs> infantry forward into the uh, German uh, into the German defenses uh, as all the artillery uh, is, is raining down. But uh, take a look at all of the German oh, and Eastern European cities that the Russians just flattened. They didn't care about the population. As far as they were concerned, remember this is, this is uh, the Soviet Union, this is, this is Stalin, uh, he, he would he would just as soon absorb all of, of Poland. He had no particular love for the U- Ukrainians either. As the uh, 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 Soviet offensive proceeds through uh, uh, through Ukraine, and uh, all the way to Berlin, and I think that even uh, most of the U.S. has seen you know pictures of what Berlin looked like uh, in May of 1945. Yeah, there was certainly U.S. and British uh, bombing contributed to that, but the uh, trail of rubble from 
from Russia all the way to Berlin was, uh, well, that's when I, I say Marshal Zukov, and you know, he, uh, he he wasn't the only one, but that was uh, Marshal Zukov was the architect of that uh, long uh, uh, Russian Soviet counteroffensive on the on on the Eastern Front. I think we're going to see that. I think we are seeing that, and we're seeing it with uh, uh, more advanced munitions, cluster bombs. It's a lot of talk too about thermobaric uh, bombs as you know, fuel air explosives is what they are. I have yet to hear somebody uh, talk about FAEs, but that's uh, a way to describe them. In fact, as I've heard some very uninformed analysis on uh, major uh, tele uh, television uh, media about them. Uh, they are extremely deadly and they, they have the intent of that huge seismic uh, e explosion is to crack bunkers uh one of the one of the objectives command and control uh, buried command and control bunkers uh, it's but if you want to use them on an undefended civilian apartment complex uh they would be an absolutely savage uh, savage weapon uh, I, I uh, vlad putin is somebody who would do it and you know, since he has no empathy uh, and uh, is sociopathic uh He'll do it until uh, the uh, Ukrainians capitulate. Uh, that I, Jim mentioned Kyrgyzstan too. That the Russians have moved in. Uh, the offer there from the Russian ground commander is, uh, "Don't resist, and we won't won't shoot you." And yet, at the same time, they've got the immediate threat there of, of taking hostages and executing if there's uh, any uh, local resistance there in, in, in Kyrgyzstan. Some of that I heard based on, you know, speculation by uh, uh, military and, and diplomatic uh, experts, but I think it's a reasonable explanation when you have a, a, an understanding of what historically the Russian army has done when it is uh, on the offensive uh, uh, heading west. It's just sad to see them doing it to uh, Ukrainians, their, uh, their next door neighbors, but they're doing that. Uh, one other thing that I'm, I might uh, bring up too, uh, this is a demonstration of the absolute utility of NATO and NATO Article 5, which I will bet prior to this invasion, Dan, 99.99% uh, .99 of the American public didn't know about. Now, maybe 1% does, but, but it's that is an absolutely critical uh, document, that article in particular. That has had deterrent effect, had deterrent effect on the Soviet Union. It still has a deterrent effect even on on Vladimir uh, Vladimir Putin. And it's uh, I'm going to tell a quick anecdote. I was uh, in New Orleans at, at Mardi Gras, and it ends up standing on a uh, next to a parade where I hear this uh, young uh, woman. She's got a Eastern European accent. Turned out she's a Latvian, and uh, 28. And I said, "What?" And we we discussed the situation in Ukraine, and she says, "Oh, we'll be all right in Latvia. We have NATO Article 5. That's what she says to me. We all have it. We have it, so we're protected." But one other point too to make uh, about that: 28. Everyone in Eastern Europe that was either uh, in uh, a Warsaw Pact nation uh, occupied by the Soviets, or even in a Russia, Ukraine. 
other elements of the former Soviet Union, everyone 31 and under, uh, the USSR dissolved in, in late 1991. And this young woman, 28, um, she's an example of a problem that I don't think Vlad Putin ha had analyzed. He seemed to think that there were going to be Ukrainians welcoming him, uh, 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 Russia back. All right. 31 and under, they weren't part of the Soviet Union. If they had any attachment to it, well, they don't have any attachment to it. And if they're probably a disenchantment from their parents and their grandparents about uh, how bad it was. I think some of that is also at play inside Russia. Uh, everyone 31 and under, it's the empire dissolved and they don't have uh, Putin's obsession with trying to re uh, uh, recreate it. They haven't bought off on it. And Jim was talking about signs of, of resistance within Russia. Uh, that's, it ought to be worrying the oligarchs and the sensible leaders uh, in Moscow when they see that uh, among uh, uh, Russians them, uh, uh, themselves, much less the resistance to the, uh, the Ukrainians. So um, I'll leave it at that. I know we're going to come back and talk about some of the uh, armaments aspects again. So, Jim, it certainly wasn't shock and awe as the Russians went in. Is it that they are escalating slowly because they thought the uh, Ukraine government would turn over faster? Or what do you think their motivation was there? Well, I, you know, as best we can tell, the plan was a coup. In other words, yeah, shock and awe. Move so fast. Uh, there are good roads in um, in Ukraine. But, but again, in the mud season, uh, you've got to stay on those roads. And even then, some of those roads uh, have sections, uh, some of the roads the Russians use anyway, have sections where, which are dirt. And uh, they turn to mud. And in some cases, the mud, you know, flow, flows onto the, the hard roads. Anyway, it's, it's a, it's, the mud is a problem. It always has been. It slowed down the Germans during the, the invasion uh, and in operations after that. Um, and uh, the Russians discovered uh, several things. First, their army was not as well trained as they thought it was. Their equipment was not as well maintained as they thought it was. Now, the Chinese took this to heart because the Chinese had, had been more realistic. They have a, a, how should I put it, a longer and more thorough tradition of corruption in the military where the generals will say one thing, we're good to go. And, and of course, we're not, they're betting on the fact that there's not a major war. Uh, that's, you bet your life that it usually succeeds. But in this case, Stalin had been told that, we've covered this in strategy page. It's gone back and forth, oh, Christ, over, for nearly 20 years, as Putin tried to, to uh, reform the military, to uh, get rid of conscription, which he wasn't able to do, uh, half the troops in the Russian military are conscripts. Uh, they're in for one year, uh, which means <laughs> they just want to get out. Uh, it's still an unpleasant place to be. And it turned out that the, uh, the, the Ukrainians captured a lot of these conscripts. A lot of them just surrendered when they had the opportunity. And the story they, they kept telling was, we were told this was a training exercise. 
Nobody told us we were going into Ukraine. Now, I don't know what they were doing up on the border for all those months. But again, you know, Russian troops don't have as much access to media, especially when they're in a field like that, as uh, Russian troops do. So they could very well be out of the loop or simply uh, not getting the information that other Russians can get. Because uh, Putin has basically taken over most of the mass media. And those few mass media outlets that are still operating have been shut down uh, you know, since the invasion began because of the uh, these these uh, outlets have uh, accurately reported the uh, the the major dissatisfaction within Russia, you know, both among the uh, you know the, the people who are well off and the majority of the population who were who basically have seen their standard of living and income decline regularly uh, since 2014 when the first round of um, of uh, economic sanctions went into effect. And now, with these 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 uh, additional sanctions, which nobody thought, you know, the, the West, especially uh, Russia, which was which thought they could basically trust the bear, <laughs> you don't do that. Uh, they they basically taken the pledge. They're they're expanding their use of nuclear power. Uh, they finally got their defense budget up over two percent of GDP. Uh, they're sending all sorts of aid, you know, to the uh, uh, directly to the Ukraine. Uh, they're promising more, uh, and that goes for you know all of the East, Western European countries. The Eastern European countries were always warning about this. They said you can't trust these people. We know we lived under them for decades and decades. And of course, as Austin points out, you know, for the the generation of Russians who grew up. Who were born or came of age after nineteen, or you know, after nineteen ninety one, they've never known life in the Soviet Union. You know, these are and and of course, when they're told by people who are still in Russia and lived through it what it was like, none of them really want to go back to it. Uh, And that is a major problem with Putin's Russia. He's trying to have it both ways: Um, a a, an efficient uh, market economy uh, ruled by a police state. Now, that is basically what we came to uh, call fascism during uh, World War II. That's the government that the Germany had, the Nazis. It's the government that the Japanese had um, and uh, several other allies, so to speak, adopted a similar form of government. It only partially worked uh, because even Hitler during World War II, he was, uh, he was basically afraid of the German people turning on him. He basically had to curry their, their favor, as it were. And for that reason, he didn't basically impose uh, a wartime production uh, mobilization of the economy uh, until 1944. Uh, you know, Russian uh, German military production hit its peak at the end of 1944. Now, if we'd done that earlier, uh, you know, I don't know if he'd have a successful revolution against his uh, his rule. Uh, but he certainly would have had a lot more weapons. So you got to say something for his paranoia. Stalin did the same thing. Uh, he constantly kept tabs on the loyalty, as it were, of the people with these. Basically, they used their informant network. So there wasn't any any pollsters going around. Uh, they would simply check with the, the local uh, paid in, informants, as it were. Um, you know, the, the block bosses and what have you. They had They had a bureaucracy which went down to a very granular level. Uh, and they got a pretty good, accurate read on it. And Stalin knew, for example, that when he invaded uh, Finland in 1939 and got his, you know, got the, the Ukrainian treatment, uh, 
that he basically had to uh, pay more attention to just how reliable the military was. He never got that sorted out until after the Germans invaded. By then, he had basically, you know, become a believer. And he uh, uh, carefully brought in generals that had been purged but not executed, like Zukov, and said, all right, I'm giving you a free hand. Uh, just don't get involved in politics. And all of them basically took that advice. He didn't trust them anyway. Even after the war, you know, Zukov was put on the back burner again after after he was uh, cheered uh, in a victory parade in which he, he marched. He, he rode on a white horse, which, you know, this this got to this got to Stalin's blood pressure up. But anyway, the uh, uh, you really can't you know, you, you can't trust the people uh, and you can't trust the military if you're running the dictatorship. You can't trust anybody but your wits. And if your wits fail you, which a lot of people are saying that is happening to Putin now, you're going to be out. Now, what comes after that, it's hard to say. Uh, Russia tried democracy. Uh, democracy is difficult. You know, as we say, you know, in America, freedom isn't free and democracy is difficult. It's different in every country. And in Russia, uh, it really led to massive uh, increase in corruption. They always had corruption. Um, and, and actually Putin earned his, his initial, uh, uh, you know, uh, his accession to power in 2000 by curbing a lot of those abuses, you know, pay, you know, uh, adjusting in, uh, pensions, especially to the, the, the World War II, the great, Piatra, big, great patriotic war generation. That was a sore point with all Russians. Uh, he got the economy going, but then... By the late 1990s, you know, uh, the corruption corrupted again. Uh, there was a huge uh, financial crisis in, I think it was in 98, uh, which, you know, uh, it, how should I put it? It turned Putin away from, you know, uh, uh, dependence on the uh, on on trade, as it were, uh, and importation of the technology and what have you. And he began thinking, well, maybe we can, you know, rebuild the empire. Now, at that point, he still had a lot of adults who were somewhat in favor of that. There was still a communist party in, in the Duma, in the uh, in the parliament. They weren't a majority, but they were they were large enough to be necessary if you're putting a coalition government together. Uh, he basically corrupted the uh, democracy to the point where he controlled uh, the Duma one way or another. Uh, and he changed the uh, basically changed the constitution or modified it sufficiently so he could be president for life. And uh, he, apparently he thought that made him invulnerable, but it's not. He's not. Nobody's invulnerable to angry Ukrainians. Austin. Well, I, th I think one of the things we also want to talk about was some of the uh, interesting bilateral. Uh, relations Ukraine has, especially with Turkey, uh, becomes uh, very interesting. The uh, dance, uh, I know it's sometimes called a bromance between uh, Putin and uh, <clears throat> Sultan Rajib, Rajib Tayyip Erdogan, the uh, uh, president of Turkey. Uh, they are not natural allies. Uh, they are not natural allies at all, but they are both strong men and uh, see the other uh, at times to be a useful uh, tactical, maybe even operational ally. But I think, uh, and note that one of the more effective weapons the Ukrainians have had is that uh, 
Bayraktar, the uh, what's it, TR2, Jim? I mean, the, the, yeah, TB2. Yeah, TB. And you know what? They originally, I read that they had 23 of them operational. I don't know how many, if that's, you know, that fine uh, granularity on it, but they were going to try to, to uh, get. Because uh, I recall reading this in a, in a, in a, when I was doing some background for a Turkey update, that Ukraine was thinking of buying up to a hundred of them uh, eventually. Now this this would of course be, uh, you know, now uh, uh, moot. They, you go to war with what with what you've got. But that Bayraktar worked very well. TB2 worked very well in the uh, uh, Azerbaijan Armenian uh, conflict. It's inexpensive. Uh, can carry an array of of, of small uh, uh, warheads, uh, munitions, I should I should say, and I, I've seen I think on the web at least three uh, confirmed uh, TB2 attacks on Russian on Russian columns. Two of them are, are and they're different ones, uh, but it's gun camera footage of the uh, munition hitting on uh, a Soviet. Uh, the main battle tank of uh, of some Soviet, excuse me, guys, Russian <laughs> main battle tank, um, and it's, that's effective. It also does on on the, the particular vehicle, but uh, it also is something that can slow down a column greatly. Uh, I don't know how many of them they have uh, they have left, but the, that is a, a a very that's an example of. Turkey's ability to produce domestically good, good enough, actually they're better than good enough, but good uh, military uh, uh, equipment. And of course, it's uh, there's several NATO nations, Poland's bought it as well, but they're NATO partners uh, of, of Turkey. All right, so there's that relationship. And plus on the, on the flip side, Ukraine, uh, they're not making them now, but made quality turbines. And Turkey's bought a lot of uh, turbine engines uh, from uh, uh, from uh, from Ukraine. Plus, something else the Turks uh, ha- have done. Turkey buys a lot of wheat from both Russia and Ukraine. Uh, they're not the only ones. I mean, there's a, there's like there, throughout the Levant parts of Africa. Parts of Central Asia, uh, Russia and Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian wheat are, are prized. As a matter of fact, they even call it Black Sea wheat. This war has gotten has closed down the grocery store. Maybe not completely from Russia, but when the, you, you see the Russians moving along the Black Sea coast, uh, there, there's not going to be access to uh, uh, Ukrainian wheat. This is um, this is another point that can lead to some long-term, long-term uh, political problems for, for, for the Kremlin, saying that it's, it's who's at fault, who's at fault here. Now, how is Erdogan playing this? For one thing is he's, uh, there, were, there were three or four talks he gave, including one major speech right at the end of February, that uh, you can see he's enjoying having a spotlight on him, but no criticism at the same time. Uh, he's, he likes having the spotlight. And what he said that Turkey's going to do is it won't sacrifice its relationship with either Russia or Ukraine. 
And then he added two because it just wasn't either or there. He says he's not gonna he's not gonna do anything to uh, sacrifice Turkey's relationship with its uh, uh, NATO NATO allies. But what he did say too was that he was willing to have uh, Turkey uh, be a mediator to end, and this is what he called the war, and he called it an invasion. And that's something that Putin has tried to, uh, you know, with his propaganda line, uh, you know, the nations that he controls, the media he controls, it's, you know, it's a war of liberation, denazification, and all like, but no, that flat out what it is, is an invasion, and it's a war. And when he says it's a war, that opens the 1936 Montreux <laughs> uh, Treaty, which we've talked about. Jim and I have talked about that in, in, a, in strategy talk, certainly written about. And that's over control of the Bosporus and Dardanelles to uh, warships, uh, keep it open for commerce, quote unquote, but uh, deny uh, passage of warships. Now, that would not that Russia is going to be sending uh, uh, a, a fleet. Uh, through the uh, Turkish Straits uh, into the Mediterranean, but that would be a real diplomatic blow to uh, to Putin, and it would also show raising the stakes because uh, you know, Turkey and Russia really are traditional traditional enemies. The other thing is, though, is that I Erdogan and Turkey. I'm going to separate Turkey uh, the Turkish interests from, from uh, Erdogan. Uh, Turkey has been developing its its uh, the its natural gas prospects. They're not just prospects. The the fields are real uh, in the Baltic, offshore Baltic, and they've cooperated with Ukraine on this because Ukraine on the western edge of the take where the Crimean Peninsula is and start moving west. There are major fields in there, some yet to be developed, but as you close, get closer to Romania, uh, Romania, you know, Romania has had, uh, has, still has significant uh, uh, oil and gas uh, 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 deposits. Uh, But they, the Ukrainians were in the process of uh, developing some of these gas fields. And just the angle on this is that you could say one reason Vlad's making his move is, is he's going to even acquire uh, larger natural gas deposits and stop Ukraine from uh, utilizing its uh, uh, utilizing its own uh, domestic ones. It won't be domestic uh, Ukrainian anymore. Ukraine won't exist. It'll be part of Vladimir Putin's uh, revived uh, uh, Russian empire. However, to do that, you in start encroaching also on, on Turkish, uh, uh, Turkey's uh, 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 maritime uh, uh, EEZ. Uh, that's a conflict with Turkey. It's a bilateral conflict, as well as a conflict with uh, Romania and uh, and Turkey and potentially Bulgaria too. I'm not uh, sure what the, the, the uh, about Bulgaria's uh, sea space there, but Romania and uh, Turkey both have uh, significant uh, the significant uh, potential natural gas and real natural gas offshore in the Black Sea, and that's a direct conflict between Russia and NATO. Uh, will Turkey supply new systems to Ukraine? 
I don't have any clarity on that, guys, but the it looks to me like that is going to occur if it's not already uh, already occurring. I don't know what they're going to try to fulfill. Uh, my guess is they'll try to fulfill the rest of the uh, TB2 contract. How they get in, Jim, your guess is as good as mine, probably through Poland, I, I guess. Uh, that gives uh, a uh, Ukraine uh, some slender uh, offensive air capability. Uh, you want to add anything to that, Jim? Did I miss anything on it? Well, the uh, the TB2 uh, was a success wherever the Turks uh, ran it. It's basically a half-size Predator, which uses a half-size Hellfire missile, which is effective enough to take out most you know, armor and, well, soft-skinned vehicles. Uh, and the Russian well, well, especially from a top-down attack. Exactly. Um, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. But the big problem the Russians have had is that they have not gained any air control. The air space is still contested. Uh, the Ukrainians, and we pointed this out you know, before the invasion began, when we gave all the reasons why it would be foolish for Putin to do this. Well, naturally, the way things work out, the uh, bad guy does the most foolish thing. That's how most wars start. Uh, <clears throat> they thought they could have air superiority, uh, but they found out that the... Uh, uh, they couldn't shut down the uh, Ukrainian Air Force. They couldn't shut down the Ukrainian air defense system. And although they tried, they didn't want to lose a lot of aircraft uh, in doing it. And w- once they saw that the Ukrainians were putting up quite a fight, uh, even for air, or especially for air control, they backed off. Uh, basically, both sides can send in aircraft uh, occasionally at, at some risk, especially if you send it in low to avoid, you know, the air defense systems, then you're likely to get tagged by a stinger. Isn't that, you know, deja vu all over again? Um, so that's another embarrassment for the Russians. And, and their potential enemies, well, or even their allies, as it were, well, China doesn't have allies, it has tributary states. So they're, 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 <laughs> they're dependent on China. Of course, China also has claims because they haven't exercised yet on a lot of uh, Russia's Far Eastern uh, territories, a lot of Vostok and what have you. Um, but the Chinese are, are not only basically tightening up even more their own training standards and and uh, and, uh, and 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 auditing, as it were, of the uh, military budget how it's spent, but they're also noting that you got to be careful going into a war with an untested military. Now, the Chinese learned this lesson in 79 when they invaded uh, Vietnam because the Vietnamese had uh, shut down the, uh, the Khmer Rouge, which had killed over a million um, uh, Burmese in order to uh, install a more pure form of communism. Cambodians, uh, not, Bur- not Burmese. Cambodia, I'm sorry. Khmer, Cambodia. Uh, the Khmer, right. Yeah. About two million, two two million, million. Cambodians. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, what, what annoyed the, the Vietnamese was that the fighting was sending a lot of uh, refugees into Vietnam, which had just completed, you know, uniting the country after the war with the uh, colonial wars, including the one with the United States. And um, so the Russians invaded, and they got beaten. Now, they never admitted getting beaten. They went in fighting for a week or so, and then they declared victory and went home and uh, never attacked again. Well, they did attack at sea. They took some islands. That's where the South China Sea conflict started. It started off the coast of Vietnam. Um, 
And the Vietnamese have been buying, you know, weapons from everybody but China ever since, including kilo submarines from uh, uh, from Russia. Uh, they want to uh, lease, uh, you know, uh, some <laughs> the old was it Kamlan Bay. Uh, the United States is one of the best. Uh, no, that's right. They want. Yeah. They wanted a lease it's on. One, it's right. one. Of the, it's one of the best harbors in uh, in East Southeast Asia, and uh, so they're desperately seeking allies against China. China's aware of that, and they don't, they still don't feel they have an army that could take on the Vietnamese, um, who basically kept up their standards out of fear of China. Now China's not afraid of anybody. Their biggest their biggest enemy has always been internal corruption. Uh, and the, uh, the, you know, the, basically the lackadaisical attitude, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the uh, celestial kingdom, you know, we're the center of the world. Who's going to attack us? Well, anyway, the, um, uh, so the Chinese are taking care of us and the Chinese also backing off on a lot of economic deals with Russia because Russia has no way to pay them. They, the Chinese are appalled at the extent with, to which the West, you know, shut the economy of uh, or the the Russian access to the world economy, uh, they never thought the the Westerners could get that unified or that angry, and they saw they did it with Russia. So you know a lot of people say, oh, this will encourage them to take Taiwan. Well, maybe not. The Chinese, the Taiwanese, always uh, plan to basically fight to the last man, as it were. They weren't going to give it up. Uh, and now the and the, the the Taiwanese have a new president, the first female president. And she's a tough cookie, and also a specialist in uh, in in foreign relations. And she she basically pulled off a coup against the Chinese. She basically negotiated in secret to get expertise and components, especially major components, to build their own submarines. They couldn't get submarines from anybody else, and the Chinese just they never caught on. Uh, and and so they're not going to admit that they've been. Outfoxed by a woman, uh, the Chinese are old-fashioned in that respect. But she did it, and uh, that basically cheered up the uh, the Taiwanese. Otherwise, they wouldn't have elected her. They knew she was a sharp politician. Um, but now the the parliament is allocating even more money to upgrade the, uh, the air force. And uh, the major countries like uh, Britain and uh, and uh, United States. The major, you know, suppliers of equipment, military equipment to Taiwan, are now more emboldened uh, to openly, you know, give Taiwan whatever they can pay for, and the Chinese feel that you know this, uh, this, this, this is uh, weakness, as it were, as the Russians are are showing big time. Uh, it's the thing they have to fear the most before they can start marching out there and. Um, and reestablishing an empire that never existed. But anyway, uh, they realize that they're not as strong as they think they are. So the the war in Ukraine is going to have a lot of side effects. It's unified Europe like it's never been unified before. Uh, the Europeans are taking seriously the threat to them, uh, not just economically, but militarily. Uh, uh, Putin has talked has talked about was backed off on the nuclear the weapons because. You know, I think even some Russians pointed out to him, he says, look, they can wipe us out. We can do some damage. But Russia is gone if you pull that trigger. And, of course, there may be even doubts if he ordered the trigger to be pulled. Anybody would actually, you know, do the pulling. <laughs> He's not going to go down there himself, you know, and push the, the launch buttons and what have you uh, to get a, a nuclear war started. So uh, 
we can take we can take some satisfaction in that this this exercise of naked aggression is not paying off, and the reverberations are, are far worse for future aggressors uh, than anybody expected. So there you go. Maybe there is you know, justice Jim, after all. Jim, I, I agree with that. There's a solidification of NATO that's obvious. We didn't flip. The Germans have have flipped around. Uh, you know, also Putin's. You know, threats to Finland and Sweden if they want to go uh, NATO, and you know I read the the superficial press saying, oh, they weren't, they aren't going to do it. But if you read what's going on, and of course the Finns know who the real enemy is, and so the Swedes, and they they know that their 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 friends are, they know who their friends are. It's uh, NATO, us, and, uh, and and alike, and the threat comes from from uh, uh, Moscow. I, I want to add something else too about and i i did something down i don't usually do in fact it's maybe done it a half dozen times in all the years we're doing podcasts i I got on the web and typed in turkey ukraine and this occurred this occurred within the last 15 or 16 hours so uh, probably this morning eastern european time the ukrainian ambassador to turkey criticized turkey for being two-faced so, you know, stand up that he's going after Erdogan on this. You're balancing, but you know who's at fault. And what interestingly enough, what kicked it off is that the ambassador was saying he didn't want Ukrainian tourist outfits cooperating with Turkey. You know, Turkey makes a lot of money on tourism to come into Istanbul and then go down the the Aegean. And it's, you know, it's it's a it's a major industry. So even though that sounds <laughs> sounds small in there, the the message there is that you, you Ukrainians are, are direct appeal to Turkey. You really aren't going to be able to sit on the fence on this, uh, and you, you know who's at fault. Get real. Well, why am I going there? Because that, that's what Jim was saying about the uh, counter reaction to the, uh, the reaction to uh, uh, Putin's war is that it clarifies and now who's your friend and who's not and who is it that's going to go on in flattened cities uh it's uh it's it's a evil actor i'll use the e-word on this it's a four-letter word and it's accurate uh in, in the form of vlad putin and the state that he runs uh in in moscow and he'll nato is already being reinvigorated that's good that's good. It should never have become so moribund. And I, uh, maybe this is another subject. I'm looking at the time on it, but I I did an analysis in 2015. Jim, I don't think I told you about this, but I thought if the Germans would just refurbish, bring them up, you know, Leopard 2A7 plus and 300, 350 of those things and two Super Panzer Grenadier uh, uh, divisions on this, I just couldn't see the Russians making a move, given NATO's uh, air superiority. Of course, the Germans didn't do that. They got down to, to a battalion of those tanks, and I read a one one report that the, only one company of them, 14, was working. And uh, that's how bad uh, the German military, the Bundeswehr, uh, became. They weren't spending any money on it, and they didn't care. Well, now they've got a reason to care. So, Well, let's end it at there guys and we'll talk to you next time bye guys bye take care